Would you remain standing and pray with me? Our Father, how do we look upon an incomprehensible God and comprehend Him? How does this created being, this 34-year-old kid, contemplate the uncreated one? Heavenly Father, through the authority of your Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see you today? God, would you give us the grace to hear? Would you give me the grace to speak? And God, above all, I pray uh, that your presence would be here and felt. You are not a God of confusion. You are a God of peace. And so, Lord, would you reign in this place? Would you be with us now uh, in this moment, uh, in this worship service? Continue to show yourself faithful. God, we'll give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's, it's good, to be, good to be back from vacation. I had uh, Christ Church Appreciation Sunday last week. Uh, so for those who don't know, uh, that means when you go to another church, you, you appreciate, uh, although we went to a really great little church on Oak Island, North Carolina, uh, you, really, you really come to love and appreciate your church. And as, as I was gazing at the ocean and reading a bu- bunch of books about the Trinity... Um, I, I dove into the deep end, if you will, right, into the deep things of God, and I drowned and I died. I died there, and uh, praise God, I came out of the water, and I got back here, and in the spirit of Trinity Sunday, I have a one-point sermon to preach for you, right? This is it, it could have been a hundred points, it was at many times a hundred points, but I have a one-point sermon to preach. It does not matter on which side of the Mason-Dixon line you call home. Your cultural slogan is, I have no other gods before me. There is nothing higher than me, nothing deeper than my internal organs, Nothing outside my self-identified group. Transcendence is a myth. Metaphysical or beyond the physical realities are a fiction. All of this right here, what you see, is all there is. No matter how many nihilistic art house movies are produced, no matter how many Academy Awards they win, Hollywood cannot convince people that transcendence doesn't matter. In the last 10 years, we have spent over $16.7 billion at the box office on Marvel movies alone. In the absence of real transcendence, we pay our ties to the gods of entertainment to remind ourselves that there is something greater than the evening news. So here's a sarcastic spoiler warning for you. The latest Marvel movie is a war for the fate of the universe. 
Is that a surprise to anyone here? Uh, But at the center of that movie is a question. What is love? What is the nature of love? At least a decade ago, uh, Marvel movies began to answer this question with the theme of fatherhood. What does it mean to be a good father? Iron Man's father is distant. Thor and Black Panther must atone for their father's sins. Spider-Man, without a father, wants to impress his father figure, Iron Man. Ant-Man struggles to be a dad. Star-Lord kills his tyrannical biological father, who's also a god or something, I don't know. And he learns to love his adopted father. And all of this leads to the self-proclaimed father figure and villain Thanos. You bored yet? All right. Like any good supervillain, Thanos decimates entire civilizations. He kidnaps children and calls them his children. His band of evil minions are called the children of Thanos. The mad titan and self-proclaimed father, Thanos, proclaims, I am the only one willing to do the hard thing. This is love. I will sacrifice my daughter to save the universe. There is a tacit longing for transcendence at the very center of the universe that yoga, nor George Lucas, nor Marvel mythology can satisfy. Within the heart of humanity, there is an unavoidable and deep-seated desire to answer the metaphysical question of love that neither psychology nor Rob Bell nor the Supreme Court can answer. We are told that whoever wins the Infinity War, the next presidential election, whoever has the power, whoever wins can answer the question of love and save the universe, save the environment, save marriage, save me. We have been swept off our feet by the warring stories of panicking politicians on the right and the left. So let me tell you what you and I believe this morning. We believe the stories that we consume. Let me say that again. We believe the stories that we consume. If I only have power, if I only have love, then I can win the war and write the story. Love conquers all. So here's the question. Why do we long for transcendence? Why do we go to war with our competing definitions of love? And here's the simple answer. Because God is. Because God is. Not the small deistic deity of our imagination. Not the chaotic cosmic beings of the Marvel Universe. Father, Son, Spirit... The Holy Trinity gives shape and meaning to the universe that we live in. So, for many of us, 
the doctrine of the Trinity is like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You may or may not watch the movies, right? You might even really enjoy the movies, but you definitely don't want to go on a date night with Chris Bora and hear me rattle on about all the metaphysical and religious stuff. Will this date never end? Will Chris ever stop talking? Talk to my wife. See, for most of us, the Trinity is in the realm of nerdy speculation, if you're into that sort of thing. Hear the good news. You do not have to watch Marvel movies. But not one of us can ignore the transcendent, and believe me, we try. We can ignore Thor, but we cannot ignore God. We are afraid to look fully into the doctrine of the Trinity. We've been told that the Trinity is a logical contradiction. It's not. God is in the dock, accused as a mad titan child abuser. Even with pious intentions, we've been told that the Trinity is not an essential teaching of the Christian faith. But it is. And even if we do confess belief in the triune God, we often get lost in lists of Bible verses and creative analogies to prove the Trinity. The Trinity is in the dock. Fred Sanders says that the Trinity seems like a doctrinal formula to be received and believed by a mental act of understanding. The Trinity is at best a true fact about God that we hold in our minds in the form of words. Okay? First, we provide biblical proofs for the deity of the Son, then the deity of the Spirit, then the personhood of the Spirit, then the distinction between the Father and the Son, then the distinction between the Son and the Spirit, and so on. Like, like reading timelines of the Marvel Cinematic Universe on Wikipedia. It's, it's, so, it's so tiresome. We either begin or end this biblical proof texting with the unity of God. And this biblical proof of the Trinity is reduced to a verse-by-verse affair. Please don't make me read all those comic books. So I, I do not want to, nor am I able to construct the Trinity from bits and pieces of verses arguments, and analogies. So this sermon is not about compiling a bunch of data in your brain so you can pass a test or you can win an argument with a Unitarian. God is not something below us that we can analyze, study, and know like a movie or a comic book. So consider this question. Who knows you best? Who knows you best? Do the, do the social scientists on NPR who do not love you know you best? Or does your best friend who's never read a peer-reviewed journal in their entire life who loves you deeply know you best? To come to really know God, 
To really know another person is not to put them in a laboratory and analyze them. To truly know someone is to humble yourself before them, to consider them above yourself, to listen to them, and to be in relationship with them. All of that is another way to say to love them. We love people in order to know them. Anybody who has encountered God in Christ through the Holy Spirit has come to know the Trinity. So relax, Christian. Relax. It's the first thing and maybe the last thing that some of you need to hear with this really doctrinal sermon. Relax. You already are immersed in the Trinitarian reality itself. You are loved. So, now we're back to this question. What is love? And what does the doctrine of Trinity, of the Trinity, have to do with love? And here's the main point and the main idea of this sermon. It's 1 John 4, 8. God is love. God is love. John 3.16, which Deacon Ann just read this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the first thing we have to say when we talk about this doctrine, this idea of the Trinity or God is love, the Trinity is not first and foremost a practical doctrine. So in other words... We don't believe in the tri-unity of God to get something from him. To get something from him. Before the foundation of the world, God is love. The father delights in his son. The son looks up to his father within God himself. Before the foundation of the world, God is love. Now, all sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement, God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons, right? Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. All right, let me say that again. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. Now, of course, what these people mean when they say that God is love is often something quite different. What do they mean? They really mean that love is God. They really mean that our feelings of love, however and wherever they arise, and whatever results they produce, are to be treated with the greatest respect. you got to respect my feelings of love. Perhaps they are, but that is something quite different from what Christians mean by the statement, God is love. Christians believe that the living, dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever. That last paragraph was written in the 1940s, and it really seems pretty relevant for today. A far-off deistic god, or else a domesticated deity, cannot be in himself love. 
The tri-personal love of God is not a love that needs any completion. So consequently, we should avoid presenting the gospel in a way that suggests that God is begging us to come back home so he can finally be happy again as if our redemption repairs a breach that ruptured the blessedness of God. It is unworthy of the glorious gospel of the blessed God to give the impression that we are begging for people to please be reconciled to God so his life won't be ruined by sadness. The Trinity is eternally self-giving, other-esteeming, other-delighting, unifying love. That's what love is, guys. It is self-giving, other-esteeming, other-delighting and unifying. God did not need creation to love. He did not need humanity to love. God is love. And because God is love, his love is unchanging and not contingent. It's not contingent. For God so loved the world, not because the world is lovely. For God so loved every single person while they were still warring against him, he came and died to redeem every person who believes. Like a tidal wave, God's love knocks us on our back, it kills the old self, and breathes new life into our resurrected self. Oh, is that, that's like, that's exhausting, y'all. That's exhausting. But I don't want to be knocked on my back. I want to be swept off my feet. Here's the reality. We don't like this kind of love. We have a deep-seated imagination problem when it comes to the love of God. Let me say that again. We have a deep-seated imagination problem when it comes to the love of God. We have all been immersed in the stories of romantic comedies and Disney fantasy our whole life. We are perpetually bombarded with infatuation, with sexual gratification, and we celebrate this feeling as the sum total of true love. We want to be loved because we are so lovable. We want love to be about me. My emotional high. My beauty. Even my self-sacrifice. But love isn't about me at all. It is always and forever to consider another more highly than oneself, than myself. Before the foundation of the world, God is love. And his love is not a detached and impersonal self-sacrifice. His love is eternal consideration of another as higher than oneself. Adam was alone and God gave him another. Man and woman, two become one flesh. Single notes become harmony. 
Many instruments become one band. Many organisms become one ecosystem. Many parts of one body. Many gifts with one spirit. Many nations become one kingdom in Christ. Joined together in the divine dance of other esteeming love that has been going on from before the foundations of the world. There is both necessary distinction and true unity everywhere you look because God is love. God the Father gave his only son. Hear, hear the good news, guys. God the Father gave his only son. And Jesus Christ laid down his own life so that he could take it up again. And the Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead brought him to life. Was it the Father's self-giving love? Or the Son's self-giving love? Or the Spirit's self-giving love? Yes. Yes. God laid down his life for the life of the world. I, along with reading a bunch of uh, really fun, deep stuff that you guys want to talk about really bad, um, this last week, I, I began to read a novel by uh, Frederick Buechner uh, entitled Godric. And Godric recounts the memory of his father when he was a child. And I want to end with this. My father's name means keeper of blessedness. If so, he kept it mostly to himself. I pity my father. If he pitied me, he never said. His face I've long since lost, but his back I can still behold. He held his head cocked sideways, and his ears stood out like handles on a pat as he strode forth from the smoke of our hut to work. It seems that he was ever striding off every way but ours, so I scarcely had time to mark the smile or the scowl of him. Even the look of his eyes is gone. They were gray as the sea like mine, it said, only full of kindness. But what matter how kind a man's eye be if he never fixes you with it long enough to learn? What matter how kind a man's eye be if he never fixes you with it long enough to learn? It does not matter who wins the Infinity War or the White House. Fleeting earthly power cannot comprehend, nor can it define love or save marriage. The transcendent trinity, the utterly incomprehensible one, came down to us, took on flesh, and looked into the eyes of broken persons with eternally existent love made us his children by dying for us, and he answered our deepest longings in the gospel. So anybody who has encountered God in Christ through the Holy Spirit has come to know the Trinity. And 
the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.